Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. So we are here to discuss the works and worlds of Neil Gaiman. We're going to step in between worlds as we discuss the extensive body of work created by Neil Gaiman. We'll wax poetic over our favorite stories, share recommendations for new and old fans, talk about the worlds that exist that you can barely see from the corner of your eye with Aziraphale and Crowley as one of the best ships ever. So, and with that, um, I'd like to kick off with introductions. Um, I'm here with the Roynish Turtle Society and the Hut Slayer conglomerate. I am uh, the actor who plays Man with Skew on TV. <laughs> so, um, if you're like, wait, I thought you were English. Yes, professionally. The rest of the time I'm not. So uh, my, I go by Madame Askew, but you can also call me Jocelyn. Um, so, it, what's going on? Oh, she forgot her card. Oh, no. I am Jen. Uh, I've been with the Ruinish Turtle Conservation Society since, I don't know, 10 years ago. We've been doing panels about Game of Thrones because nobody wants another turtle war. No, so it's very important we keep Mother Ruin in shape with the turtles, and uh, I'll pass it along to my other industry here. Hi, my name is Tanya, and I just found my little card. <laughs> no, she's not bringing you treats. Yeah, we, we enjoy these panels where we kind of deep dive into some of our favorite pop culture and nerdy topics. Mm-hmm. We got our start with Game of Thrones, and then we realized hey, we can talk about other things, and people might actually want to hear it. And if they don't, well, they can <laughs> um, We got started down here in Tuscan. Like, Jen and I often do panels at, in Phoenix with other folks. So we just sort of dubbed ourselves the Tucson delegation, and then we're joined with wonderful friends. So yeah, today we're going to talk about Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Hi, I'm friends. <laughs> now I I when you trick us I'm um big fan of Neil Gaiman stuff. I've been coming to Tuscon for almost forty years. Um so yeah, so so I this is my first time being first year being on panels. I hope I can do more working with these guys. Um and yeah, I'm excited about this topic. It's Oh. We're trying to live stream. Yeah, you guys continue without me, and I'll be right back up there. I'm just right here. <laughs> I'm just laughing about. Don't mind me. Well, but you, you tell us all about your favorites, Jocelyn. Oh! <laughs> Spoiler warning that we may end up discussing points and characters from like Good Omens seasons one and two and the Sandman series on Netflix, and not to mention, you know, many other game and works. So if there's things that like you haven't read yet or you haven't seen yet, and you don't just just be warned, there may be spoilers ahead for you. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna be talking about my favorites. And I'm very excited to talk about them, as you can see. And um, I'm also deeply distracted right now trying to make this happen. But I believe I put Neverwhere and... You put Stardust and American God. Oh, Stardust and American God. And Another Voice. 
Holy oh, Trinity. All <laughs> honestly, the deal is, I love all of gaming. Um, who doesn't? Who's in this room? Who's amongst us? But uh, we had to choose because we all love so much. And I'm a steampunk in my professional life. And so uh, Stardust is kind of a gimme, honestly. It's maybe not like total steampunk, but there's an airship. And for me, that's good enough. Good enough. Um, the other thing is like the movie sort of like catapults it even more into that kind of steampunk vibe for me. So part of it is I just love the historicity, the sort of fantastical quality of it, and this kind of idea that comes up again and again in Gaiman of like, we're going to toy with mythology. We're going to delve into your expectations of mythology. We're going to get really close to urban fantasy. Oh, thanks, Neil. <laughs> For me, how kind. <laughs> I love it. But it's going to be set like, you know, 150, 200 years ago, just to shake up. I'm like, sounds good. I will take this trip with you. <laughs> and uh, so I love that he comes back to the mythology and toying with our understandings of it and using this kind of voice that he has. It's so poetic, so lyrical and um, also has a real poignance and humanity to it. So I never feel like he's being precious with his words. And for me in Stardust, that's sort of really on, uh, on the show because it's like, would be really possible to dive into this kind of like, oh, I'm using 19th century English and it's very pretentious <laughs> and I clearly read Dickens. And I'm like, yeah. Have you read an editor? So, <laughs> but he manages to like avoid that, and uh, it's beautiful. So I, but all, my other favorite that I chose for the purposes of being here is American Gods, and that was my first gaming. Really? That was the first thing wow. I read by him. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't enter through Sandman. It wasn't a Metallica experience for me. <laughs> I came into, oh, something about mythology and modern America. Ooh, I date that. Sounds good. And I was absolutely blown away. I've given away so many copies of that book that I just keep used copies at home to give to people. Because I'm like, look, Have you, you won't give it back. So I know there's a TV show, but start with the book. It's so good. I mean, I like some things about the TV show. I think yeah. we're going to talk about adaptations. But it was the book for me. It was always that book. And it's so complicated, so deep, and the characters feel so human, even the mythological characters, mm -hmm. which to me is absolutely a power of gaming, that he is able to take these really, you know, legendary figures that seem beyond humanity and pull them in and be like, you know what, really, he's just a bad dad who's a deadbeat, um, doesn't want to pay his bills, definitely never did the dishes, and uh, probably did not get his dirty clothes into the hamper. <laughs> and uh, he's just like the dad who takes you for the weekend trip to the amusement park and is like, isn't that fine? And you're like, no, pay for my therapy. <laughs> Come on. And he's like, but I'm Odin. And it's like, yeah, pay for a lot of therapy. <laughs> And so I love that. I love I love that dynamic. I love the sort of cheekiness. And the twists are also great. I didn't always see those twists coming, uh, which was absolutely such a treat because I'm a massive reader. So, you know, an obvious twist. I'm like, I still like you, but I saw it a hundred pages ago. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, you know, that's what happens if that's all you do is read and make costumes. So, anyway, um, I, I think that that is a good summation of where I'm at with those two books. So, um, up next, we've got Tanya, who's also going to bring us into some American gods. But. Yeah. Um, Right, two of my favorites from Game. Well, actually, yeah, like two of my favorites from him are the the first book that I read that was from him and Terry Pratchett was Good Omens. Mm -hmm. 
I had never read either author. And it was actually Mike suggested, because I was looking for a gift, uh, for a gift for my husband. And you know, we both love to read. So he's like, I think this would be a good one. And we both enjoyed it. And it's funny, it's a lot of fun because it actually is a really good kind of introduction to both of their styles. Because they did write it together, like long distance through sending things and faxes. <laughs> but it's the most fun thing about it is once you start reading their individual works and you go back and you reread Good Omens, you can spot who wrote what. And it's so much fun. And another one of my favorites is American Gods. And I mean, I almost sometimes think of it as a controversial choice because I've met people who I was like, oh yeah, American Gods, it's great. And they'd never read Gaiman and they read American Gods and they were like, I don't think I ever want to read anything he's written again. <laughs> and so I'm like, maybe I'll stop recommending that if they've never read Neil Gaiman. <laughs> but I like it for many of the reasons that you said. Like, the, there's that deep mythology, and it's kind of back, like, like, whenever you read some of, like, the old, like, Greek myths and stuff, the gods are just as petty and awful as humans, and they're so, they, and that's how they act. And it's funny, too, like, just to make this, I know we're here to celebrate Gaiman, but just to, like, if I could be just a little tiny bit serious, I was reading American Gods for the first time in, and I was in the section where they were visiting Mr. Ibis and Mr. Jackal, and they were like preparing a body and talking about the work of caring for the dead when I found out that my mother died. Oh. So that book, in a really weird way, kind of helped me deal with it. And I've reread it like three times, and I always find something fun in it and something good. And I think really one of the reasons I love Gaiman's work so much is his writing finds the beauty in the darkness. And like so many of his stories and his novels, they're grounded very firmly in the world that we live in. And then there's that feeling like maybe you just saw something out of the corner of your eye, but when you turn it's not there anymore. He kind of likes, but if you could just focus on it, you get to see it. And some of his work kind of veers into that space that is kind of in between. And it's just so cool. And as a side note, now I recommend Stardust if nobody's ever read Damon because it's such a good fairy tale. It's so sweet. It's lovely. Um, Wendy, speaking of fairy tales. Yes. So I'm going to the first Damon book I actually read, which was Neverwhere. Um, And after reading several Gaiman stories, I figured out what the real hook of the stories that he writes that I love the most is the, the liminal spaces, these characters that move in between two worlds. Um, and uh, that would be, so Neverwhere, like major one, my top favorite. Um, I got in, when I worked at, at public library, I got into Sandman and then uh, realized that that also takes that theme, not quite as obviously, but the character is moving in between worlds, but you don't see the, the portal, the entryway, whereas Neverwhere, there's a doorway. Um, and Ocean, Ocean's at the end of the lane. There's this kind of, it's not really a border, but there's a space that, that they have to go between. Um, uh, graveyard book, there's a portal, you know, so there's, there's all these kind of moving in between worlds. It's just on the other side that you can't see. And that really hooks me in. And then, of course, his writing style is just so easy to just get absorbed into. And uh, those, those are, I, I mentioned the other two because I know that they need to be mentioned. Ocean Beyond the Lane <laughs> is actually a play in London now. Um, uh, graveyard book, I understand. There was rumors that it was going to be picked up as a live-action film, but I don't know. I don't know if it actually got bought. This is pre-pandemic. They were talking about it, so um, that would be brilliant. Um, and, and more, more human, and yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of mythos, North, Norse mythology. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> Mead farts is my favorite story. 
if you haven't read Norse mythology and you are into like kind of mythos, but you haven't really gotten into gaming, that's probably the best gateway one because it's hilarious. Yeah, it's basically like it's basically him just kind of reinterpreting through his own voice a lot of the Norse stories. Norse mythology, yeah, it's super fun. And the way he writes Loki and Thor is just a delight. It's so funny. Well, it's so clear he did his research before mm -hmm. translating, but also before writing American Gods. Because he yeah, has so yeah. much depth to his presentation of those in, in that collection as well as just writing about them. So, did you want to tackle Sandman or come back around to that? Well, I, I mentioned it, but... Um, no, Sandman I love because not only the liminal spaces and moving in between, but the character of Morpheus is not your, he's kind of a, he's an anti-hero, right? Because he's not somebody that you're supposed to like. You're not supposed to identify with him. He has no idea what it's like to be him. And so as you start out, it, you're, you're like this is this is a, a creature it's not a person but as it goes on you see that he's learning humanity over time and and I love that kind of story too and the thing that I love about that is that the person the one that's teaching him how to be more human is his sister death <laughs> because she spends the most time with humans and she is a hero yes yeah, she, she is she's beautiful yeah yeah, yeah. Jen so I don't have anything that new to add. Um, uh, Neverwhere was how I found Gaiman. And I think what really struck me was that I had this really physical reaction to reading it to the point where I was almost in mourning at the end of the book because I didn't know what to do with it being done. And I think that's the sign of an author you need to keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I read American Gods, and I remember how funny it was. Um, there's like this scene with Odin's raven, one of Odin's ravens, and and he's like, say, you know, nevermore or whatever. And he's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite scene. It's so good. It's so good. And I just thought, how can you give so much humanity and humor and life to these untouchable gods? Like, it was just amazing to me. And then um, Good Omens. I remember um, reading Good Omens at my dad's house, and he was like, what is wrong with you? Because I was belly laughing to the point where I almost peed my pants. <laughs> I'm not even lying. Really, seriously, there could have been a few drops. And um, he was like, what is wrong with you? And I start reading him these passages, and he's like, are you okay? Because I could barely get through them. I was laughing so hard. And um, I just... I, I think Gaiman's humor, his humanity, it's just amazing to me. So I'm, I'm in love. Yeah. That was sort of my experience with Good Omen because Jason laughed so much. And when he was done, he's like, you should read this. <laughs> just, just read this next. It's glorious. Yeah. And I, yeah, I laugh until it hurts. <laughs> I mean, seriously, raise your hand if you remember reading a Gaiman passage where you just laughed your head off. <laughs> yeah, right? You're funny. So yeah. Well, and the combo with Pratchett. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks for the gift. This is so good. Um, so speaking of good omens, this is a great way for us to seg to the other part of this discussion, because with Gaiman, it isn't only just his written word. It's never just been the static word on the page for him. He has so many adaptations. And... Earlier today, we were talking about a golden age of Star Trek. Well, now I think we can talk about a golden age of Gaiman on the screen because there's so many amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in media, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the audio for Sandman. Yeah. Yes, the whole thing with Sandman. So, uh, our first adaptation that we're going to chat about is American Gods. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, this is kind of a bumpy ride of an adaptation. It really yeah. is. Season one, I thought, was really pretty solid. They made some deviations, but it was like, well, all right, not too important. I understand that things aren't going to be the same. And it was still really, I thought it was still really enjoyable. Yeah. And 
just as, as like Orlando Jones was perfect, yeah. absolutely perfect as a Nazi, and like just chef's kiss. Like that, the show was just amazingly cast. And then season two happened, and there was more deviations that were not my favorite. But there was also deviations that I thought were really, really good because Bilquis actually got to live. <laughs> and not only did she live, she met up with Anansi and Mr. Ibis up in, in Illinois, and they started to gather people to them and all that. And that, I, it was so good. Such good acting and such good storytelling. And the only thing that, like my, it seems like a weird thing to focus in on, but like the one thing I did not like at all with the adaptation is that they changed how Shadow and Laura met. Well, it's a terrible change. Yes. Like because in, well, I mean in the in the show, she's working at a casino and that's how she meets him. And when that happened, I try really hard not to be that person when we watch adaptations of things that we've read. But while we were watching, I just went, what? Why did they do this? This is wrong. Because in the book, they meet at a party. They're introduced by friends. And they've been like drinking together. And I wrote this quote down because like at the end, kind of the end of the chapter, you, you shadow his monologue and he's thinking about the night and he's thinking about Laura. And it says, he had kissed her goodnight that night, and she had tasted like strawberry daiquiris, and he had never wanted to kiss anyone else again. And instead, they, they changed it so she worked in the fucking casino. <laughs> and he met because she was a dealer, and I think there was some weird crime going on. And I was like, ugh. Yeah, and the whole puppy thing, too, and just like, there was yeah. a lot of sweetness got lost. And I think that that sweetness for me really propelled a lot of what went on with Laura in the story and also really ultimately in the book and like also sort of motivated Shadow to survive some things. And without yeah. that sweetness, it lost a little bit of its, you, you know, the, the moral compass. I hate to use that, but like the emotional thread that kept us going through the story. Right. Right. That means you care. Yeah. There were times that it felt like they were the, the showrunners went, We're on stars. Where's the buckets of blood? Because <laughs> there were some scenes that were just so much more brutal yeah. than they really needed. Why did know that happened, but it wasn't? Yeah. yeah. Do do any of you know how involved? Because I know Neil is very involved in developments, and he was very yeah. involved in the development of the Sandman. He was not as involved. Yeah, and I think that affected yeah. what came after. And I think that I don't remember if he's ever actually said anything because he seems to be someone who tries to be very circumspect in how he talks about things. But I don't know. There's been some things he said over the last few years that kind of made it sound like, well, I've learned some lessons. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying so I may not be the only one, or I I may be the only one that feels this way, but I didn't really like the adaptation. I I had friends who I talked about American Gods to forever, and they hadn't read the book yet, and they started watching the show, and they're like, it's visually appealing, but I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I had another friend who hated it. Yeah, and I felt like it did a disservice to the book because. Mm -hmm. People couldn't get into it, and it didn't have that humanity. Yeah. It didn't have yeah. like the relationship you said with Laura. It just like, didn't they made a season three, but I never watched it. No, no I didn't either. Well, and then they just dropped it. Yeah, yeah. They it just was just in the middle of other there was right. there was so much drama behind the scenes right. that it hurt the show. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a lot with like my understanding is Orlando Jones really tried to save things as best he could, and they were like, no, 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 no. You're getting way too into this whole, like, racism thing. And he's like, have you read the news? Have you see who I am? No, like, just look at me. And uh, have you looked at this cast? Yeah, like, this is personal for us. Of course, we're going to, like, reevaluate some of the story through our lens, and it brings richness to the story. And I agree with him on that point. 
Like he was making some good changes. But then there was this whole like buckets of blood and like yeah. let's remove some of the sweetness and I I it's not my favorite adaptation. I no. was like ready to go with it at season one, but season two really lost me. Well like so. I also just to mention Stardust one last time. That adaptation is super fun. Because it's all, it's also the first time I ever saw Charlie Pops in anything. Aww. You know, Marvel's Daredevil. And he's so sweet in this. So and Claire Danes is the, the star that falls. And it's funny, too, because it's one of those movies where they cast someone in the lead role on purpose who is basically unknown. So there would be no expectations on, on the character. And then there's all these really famous people in just these different parts sprinkled throughout, and Michelle Pfeiffer is the evil witch. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. But it's it's a really good fairy tale, and it's like if you've never seen the movie, but like maybe you like Princess Bride or something. Yeah, it's probably yeah, a good movie. Like yeah. yeah. Wendy, did you have any thoughts on the American Gods adaptation? Um, I did not like it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm one of those people that I I was just. I can't get into this. This is nothing like, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, you know, after talking to people that did enjoy it or got through it all the way, um, that I might sit down and watch it again with a different eye. But that was that was the first time that anything that was game in that I was just like, I can't, yeah, I get through this. Yes, I have a point on that. <clears throat> I think the reason I was able to watch the show. Is because I couldn't really remember the book. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, that that might help. Right. So if you go in with no expectations, it's yeah. a little different. Yeah, Why did they removed the three sisters of Chernobyl. I don't understand. Oh man, yeah. I love the sisters. I too. too. And that there was there weren't three sisters anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it was like this isn't as magical now. Well, yeah. I feel like the big thing. Oh, sorry, Jen. No, I was just agreeing with her. Yeah. It didn't feel as magical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I think overall, the changes I saw that didn't work for me were the ones where they were like, we're going to cut out this part that gives us emotional resonance mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, humanity, and we're going to like focus on the sort of like violence, despair, bloodshed. I'm like, uh, where's the game in? Yeah. Game in for me is in that emotional mm -hmm. resonance. Yeah. So, um, speaking of emotional resonance, good omens. <laughs> good, let's talk about something that has plenty yeah. of gaiman in it. Yeah. In the gaiman adaptation. Since he's the like, co-showrunner. Right? And I think he really took this as a very special project. Because Sir Terry is dead, because it was left in his care, he went to the extreme to make sure it was really just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember if we started here or with Jen on the last adaptation and moved down this way. I don't remember. Jen, I'm sorry. Jen? All right. Yeah. Um, I loved it, obviously. I, not just the book, I love the adaptation. I thought when we start out and they're in the garden and they're on the wall and it starts raining and he puts the feather over, I was I was done for. You know, I was done for. And uh, again, the, the humor shone through and um, I think they couldn't have had a better cast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's what really made it. And, you know, I think Good Omens is a love story. However you, you try to talk about what kind of love it is, it's a love story, right? Between these two people that, beings, not people, <laughs> yeah. two beings that have gone through history together. And I thought it was so beautifully done. And um, I just... I'll, I'll pass it on to you because I know we've nerded it out about this yeah. so many times. We've, we've talked about Good Omens together extensively. Extensively. we love it so much. It's like, there's so much... Because I know there is... There's a lot of discourse about it being... You know, about it, them being like... And, you know, more of a romantic love rather than a platonic relationship. And that's not something that ever occurred to me when I was reading it. And I don't think it occurred to me until we were, there was some point like halfway through watching season one where I was like, hmm. and, and I think part of it, and then I read, I read a really good article about it. And, and the, and the, 
someone who talked about that. And then I was when I like think reading through what they their thoughts and then thinking about what I watched, I'm like, oh, because there's a scene in the car where Crowley basically is trying to find a way to die, and he's doing all this stuff, and Aziraphale just and it the way Aziraphale says it because Michael G Michael Sheen is a gift <laughs> was just. And we had talked about how it had gotten backlash, right? Because they felt like they didn't make the relationship overt enough. But we were talking with friends, and I don't remember who brought it up, but of it being this beautiful ace relationship yeah. because they're not, I mean, they they don't have hearts, right? <laughs> but it doesn't make it any less romantic. Yeah. Yeah, right. And right. more committed. And uh, you know, Gaiman is quite active on social media. And when people kind of gave backlash on that, he doubled down in season two <laughs> with this um, this ace being relationship. And it's not just Crowley and yeah, it's right. A, right, right, yeah. yeah. So it's just it's such a good it's such a good adaptation, and there's so many good like kind of things where you, you listen to the, like, it, it's like some of my favorite kinds of stories are the stories where like humanity is being looked at by somebody else. Yeah. And then they like say the things out loud that we're all bad at as like a general sort of human beings. Like, the one, like whenever there's about to be some sort of war and, and Crowley is here kind of observing and Crowley's like, what do you say to him? And Zero goes, well, he said, be kind to each other. And Crowley's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to like that. <laughs> there are so many hard truths in that book. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of them come from Pratchett, actually. Yeah. But um, but there are still gaming ones in there where you're like, oh, that yeah, one like, I mean, Discworld, one of the whole things of Discworld is that, like, biting social commentary without punching down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. and, and Good Omens was the first Pratchett I ever read. Yeah. Was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Oh. I mean, so. I came to Pratchett before I came to Gaiman. And uh, so I picked Good Omens up because I was like, oh, Pratchett. I, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta consume it all. Yeah. I love Pratchett deeply. But because I had read so much of Neil Gaiman's work, I could kind of tell where those voices and, and I was like, I like this other voice. Yeah. And so that got me into into Pratchett. I think they both are masters of plumbing humanity. Yeah. And like in a poetic kind generous and humorous way like yeah. they're like i have a hard time reading pratchett now because i am so oh god right i'm so sad about his passing it was really hard as a yeah. long time fan and so gosh pardon me watching good omens i also felt myself like experiencing this transcendent love story and grieving an artist that I'd love. So it I, yeah. I, pardon me. I don't normally start sobbing on panels about <laughs> books, but I am a book nerd. So um yeah, there's this sort of like beauty to how generous they are and it always made me feel like reading either Gaiman or Pratchett like we can see that things are hard. We can see the flawed quality. We can see that uh, humanity is really on the brink constantly of destroying ourselves. And they're like, yeah, here's the mirror. But also, like, you guys are going to do it. Look at these things you do yeah. do. Look at these ways you transcend that are surprising. And that is, like, part of the power of the Good Omens uh, adaptation to me. Because they don't lose that in the translation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, gay men manage to like go, yeah, that part, that's the really important part. So I want to make sure to like polish it up for you. And especially like having it delivered in the time that it was delivered yes. to us. I was like, thanks, I was drowning. I really appreciate yeah. this yeah. lifeline. So, uh, pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's one of the best book adaptations from a book that I've ever seen. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, 
seasons two, and assuming they actually green light it, season three, are obviously off book. And I've seen people complain of like criticize that, but it's like the two of them always plan a sequel. They were just never got around yeah. to writing it. Well, and and he they've gotten flack about casting too, because you know, when you read a story, especially if you have a genderless character, people kind of envision one or the other in a lot of uh, binary in a lot of ways. And and you know, he's he has said in interviews, these characters are supposed to be non binary. They're 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 supernatural beings. They can't fit this. So getting flack and he got flack for that on Sandman too. Yeah, yeah he did. Getting flack for having uh, a, a, a an actress as a character that other people as Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. Um, people just assume Beelzebub would be male and masculine and tough and big and scary and it was this smaller very intimidating, terrifying, terrifying individual <laughs> that people, and I don't know if the actor is uh, non-binary, so I shouldn't say, but the, the, the assumption was you put a woman in a man's role, and he, and he got a lot of flack for that. Well, he was a more fat person, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and people were mad that Frances McDormand was God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for them. Right. Right. So people that hate it, they should just ignore it because it's not for them. Right. Thank you, Diane. I just was like that the last week. Yeah, you did. Like, you know, like, you know, stop, take a breath, and say, well, maybe I should kind of have an open mind, and I'll see how this goes. And if you can't do that, then maybe just walk away. Right. You know, one of the one of the things about the Gnomes um, cinematic uh, <laughs> version is that I really love is um, in the costume design, how many times Crowley is a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And you, if you're just watching and you're not watching for it. It may not click except when he's the nanny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, from a historian perspective, when they're back in, you know, early um, Middle East mm-hmm. era, the clothing that Crowley is wearing is women's clothing. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how they were like, okay, well, was Crowley... A woman in this time, and you know, because if they were pre- angel, right, right, but presenting, <laughs> presenting to the public as yeah. right, yeah, um, and and that was that. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. That that, and they didn't try to change actors or faces. Yeah. It was just the clothing. Well, and the actors played it in a way that was like oh, the brilliant actors. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, so yeah. I like Michael Sheen. It's funny because the whole thing with um, okay, the official ship name for Crowley and Aziraphale is Inevitable Husbands, mm-hmm. and <coughs> I think that when they went into it, from things that I've read, they weren't really sure what kind of exactly the vibe was going to be with the relationship. And at some point, Michael Sheen just started playing it that way, mm-hmm. and David Tennant was like, "Okay." Well, they have been in films before and became very good friends. And there is, to your point about uh, like presenting as women mm-hmm. in different places, there is probably like I guess I don't know would it be fair to call it like a subgenre of fan art yeah. of them. Oh yeah, that people refer to as ineffable wives, <laughs> where they're both drawn as women. And it's delightful, which, P.S., if you have some time to spend and you just want to go out there on the internet and look for it, there is so much good, really excellent, good Omens fan art. Just be careful with your search words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Because there's that kind of fan art, too. Maybe uh, open up one of those browser windows that's like... Incognito. So I don't really want to wrap up this Good Omens conversation, and it makes me feel like we need a Good Omens panel next year. we could do that again because we are <laughs> we could go longer but we only have a little bit of time left um and we should maybe touch on the sandman adaptation yes. i don't think we're going to have time to talk about the movies to be honest no. so just know we wanted to talk about everything but it is neil gaiman and we love his work so yeah, before we get the sandman i want to say there's rumor that there will be a live action coraline oh cool Heck so, yes 
That's uh, yeah. rumored. I don't know much more about it. I just read a you know in talks yeah. uh, article. But okay, Sandman. Sandman. Uh, Tanya, I feel like as our Wednesday Adams, <laughs> you. I mean, I am wearing skeleton hands, so we brought some goth vibes, girl. <laughs> but like, maybe you should start us off with a rolling black. We are. <laughs> oh, good job, team. Yeah, came for the gaming. <laughs> yeah, this start. Sandman. I knew it was graphic novels, and I knew like, but I had never read them because I, I came very late to comics in general. But then somebody was like, "You've never read Sandman?" I'm like, "Fine," <laughs> but it was really good, like really good. But it's just a lot, and you know, and sometimes the library doesn't always have it, and. Anyway, it's, I, I made it a certain way through, and I really loved it, but I hadn't picked it back up. And then Audible started decided to adapt it as a fully cast audio drama, you know, with sound effects and all. And the casting was brilliant. Like James McAvoy is Morpheus. Cat Dennings is Death. I don't remember some of the other people in it, but they're all amazing. And I had an auto, and I was like, I have an audible membership. <laughs> and so they released them as like, you know, Act One, and then Act Two, and Act Three. They're so good, and they're all amazing. And now, like now, the Audible adaptation, it is just like a straight from comic mm -hmm. to audio adaptation. There are no changes. It's, it's brilliant. So if you decide to go out and consume this, be aware there are some things that may become triggering about things because these these were written in the early 90s and so there's maybe some different takes on transness and queer and all sorts of other things but it's still like it's still like good storytelling yeah and that heart is still there in all these characters and beings and yeah it's just real good and then I got even more excited when Netflix said they were going to have stuff. And like, the thing about Gaiman being outspoken to people who come for him on social media, people were complaining that the the amazing Gwendolyn Christie was cast as Lucifer. Yep. So? And they thought that Lucifer should be a man. And so one of the things Gaiman said, Gaiman just baited this person at first, and they were like, He's like, why? Is she too tall? <laughs> <laughs> and then they said something else, and he brought up genitalia, and he was like, well, you know, like, you know, Lucifer doesn't have that, right? <laughs> well, and it was the same with death. Yeah. yeah. had this vision of what death was supposed because to be. Because in, right. the, in the graphic novel, right. she was, that character was based off some uh, 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 girl that he had, Right. Met and interacted with, I believe, a, a singer or something. She but was like a, a performer, essentially like a performer that he had seen, and he thought, yeah, but yeah. she's very pale and gothy, and yeah. Her name was Cinnamon Hayes. Yeah, she um, just passed away, didn't she? Um, I don't, not too recently, but she she is gone. So that, and I think that's the problem with uh, doing adaptation film adaptation from a graphic novel is you've already got this preconceived notion, not just in your head, where you can kind of argue, well, maybe I imagined it differently, but somebody's already drawn it. And I think that's where it ran into trouble, and he's like, that can look like whomever she wants to look like. Right. Right? And the actress that, and I can't remember her name. Her name she was Baptiste. So good. She's so amazing. Good. I think one of the smartest things they did when they were marketing it was release that clip. Yeah. Where she goes to get the violinist. The scene, oh. the scene of the violinist oh. having falling. Oh yeah. my god. I, I've already cried once. <laughs> <laughs> and the fire. Like, yeah. But the, the, when you do film adaptation of something that also has very graphic scenes, like the diner, yeah. Mm -hmm. They did back off on that mm -hmm. um, because there were cool. some themes that in the in the graphic novel. If you've not read it, be prepared. There's some sexual and violent themes in some of these things that they kind of pull back on. It's still pretty graphic, but the the you still get the rawness and the yeah. the yeah. insanity of it without having all of that other. Right. 
the exact opposite they, of American Gods. Yeah. yeah. They, get, they, they took it out, but they tried to keep the feel of it. Right. Almost yeah. like it matters whenever the creator right. falls. Right. <laughs> it really right. Does. They, they, they did, I thought it was really, really well done. They, oh, yeah. That was... Because when we were watching when we were watching the Sandman adaptation and I would see the episode titles come up and I saw the episode title twenty four hours and I went, Oh no. here it comes. So my husband has not read the graphic novels, he's not read these things. So we watched that first season and I'm sitting there going, When are they gonna show this? Not realizing that they stop before they get to the next act, right? I'm thinking they're going to keep going, but and not because my brain didn't connect. This is just the first season, right? Yeah. So they did act one in the first season. So yeah, it's this. It is. It's 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 almost like we're in intermission right now. That's all. Yeah. That beautiful. What are they? I want to. Sorry, I want to see if they cast some of the gods based on the voice actor. I, I love that. David I hope the Tennant person who would be amazing. I hope the person who voices Delirium gets to play her. Oh, yes. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just so well done. There's obviously so much care that's gone into producing it, and to the point of like poking at the the haters. There have been character posters released, and there's one where the actress who the actress is deaf. Because there, there's actually like it's a panel from the comics where she has sunglasses and she's being very playful, and somebody took that character poster where she's doing that and she's got a smile, and then they memed it to say "Die mad about it." <laughs> I was like, nice. But yeah, it's just there's so much good stuff. It's really a stunning adaptation, and it it did between Good Omens and Sandman, I feel like we really have been treated to some incredible adaptations of his work. In the first season of American Gods. And the yeah. first season. <laughs> yeah. That first season. Uh, and we've got the movies, which we don't have time to talk about, but we have like three minutes to take questions. Yeah. And, um, and E.K., you have been a champ. <laughs> I just like thank you with all my heart. Normally I live stream all my panels so you can see them later or if you're unable to attend a convention, you can enjoy them. The Wi-Fi is really rough here. EK has been so kind. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Don't even, we're going to release this into the universe with, uh, with American Gods. So, <laughs> that was shitty. Do we have any questions or comments? Or what are some of your favorites? Yeah, we have like three minutes. No, you're just all like, yeah, that was good. I just say what I'm Are there any so that we haven't mentioned that popped into your head? It's like, hey, why aren't you talking about this one? Because there are so many. Yeah. Oh, so Mirror many. Mask. I completely forgot you oh, wrote Mirror right. Mask. Well, and we didn't I, get to movies, so. And I wanted to talk about the Neverwhere right. series, which actually came... The miniseries happened before the book. And Peter Capaldi is in it too. Right, he's great. And I wasn't there an, an audio radio. Yes, BBC yeah. Radio has done adaptations of Neverwhere. Of um, I believe they've done American Gods. It's definitely better than the second season. <laughs> I just thought of something. Did you guys see the little blurbs on? I guess. YouTube and Facebook and plug like um, David Tennant and Michael Sheen during the pandemic would have yes. this little, oh, oh, it so was like calls. it helped me so much. Really I would read them and watch them again and again. They were so charming. I thought that was really I'm good. sorry, but I was gonna say they started doing more of them. Oh, yeah. Did they? yeah, yeah, there's some new ones. And the wives are involved and yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. It what they so did, good. what she's talking about is it's um, they had little Zoom, they did recorded little Zoom uh, interactions, and I swear they sound like an old married couple. <laughs> and the wives are like, yeah, okay, we got it, you know. The wives say that too, yeah. So, uh, anyway, in summation, as a conclusion, would you guys like to say a couple of last things as we're wrapping up? We're all concluded for us. Excuse yeah, me. just that really, Neil Gaiman's work is so broad and so varied. Like, for example, real quick, if you like horror, maybe pick up one of his anthologies. 
Because I, I recently finished his anthology, Fragile Things, and there are some deeply disturbing oh, yeah. things in that book. Mm. But it's all good. Yes. <laughs> I just want to say everything I hear about him as a person, like we, we talk about this down the road with uh, J.K. Rollins. I mean, it's really hard sometimes to separate the artist from their art, right? And everything I hear about Gaiman as a person just makes me love reading him more because I remember you telling me about a story about going to a signing for Gaiman and wasn't there somebody just ahead of you who was telling him about writing and he like hugged her and told her to keep writing? I don't remember that. I remember... <laughs> There was somebody I talked to that that okay. happened where really I thought cool. it was you, but um, it was a friend of mine who went, I didn't get to go to it, Gaiman was up in Phoenix, and this person was just saying how influential he was on her, and she was a writer, and she was feeling you know, kind of down about it, and he hugged her. He took time to hug her and tell her to keep trying. I do know the signing that I went to, I read about it later, there had been a woman go who was in a, just a beautiful costume with a fascinator that was somehow on theme and they were talk they talked while he signed her books and I think he either gave her a hug or a handshake or something like that because something like, like something about how like being a beautiful fascinator deserves extra attention or something. Oh. It was very sweet. Better than Paul Hollywood. <laughs> so Thank you all for being with us. We yeah. are back this evening with two more panels. Uh, the Roynish Turtle Conservation Society, the Hut Slayer Contention, <laughs> and me! <laughs> I'm a turtle. I'm a turtle too! Um, thank you all so much. And uh, by the way, our Creative Play podcast is right here and was recording the panel because you're a mensch and I love you. And you can find uh, Jim's stuff on Patreon and social meets, but you should really be backing his Patreon so he'll keep recording our panels. <laughs> don't, don't, no, I'm an artist, don't, don't. All right, thank you so much. We're gonna get out of here. I thought I cried a lot. Oh my gosh, I, I don't. win the medal. Thank you, I can't believe it. I was just like, Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok Enroll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.